Everyman Podcast. Yeah! Episode 3. How you doing, Daryl Campbell, my brother? Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So where, where, where are you today? Where, where you at? Right now, I'm in Indianapolis. I'm at the Combine. You know, I was... Uh, um, was going through some some com checks, some some run run throughs for the Indianapolis uh, NFL Combine. I, w- I got the chance to destroy some high school kids to make sure that our our cams had, had some checks. It was great. They did a, a nice little reel of it. I saw some kids get blasted in phantom cam. It was amazing. <laughs> that's that's always good when you can put uh, high, <laughs> high value technology to to good use like that, right? I know, man. That's awesome. So. Uh, this week we uh, we had a conversation with professional wrestler Nick Cutler, and uh, this dude is just—he's incredible, awesome guy. Um, it was great conversation, and he—he just—he's the definition of the everyman, wouldn't you say? Oh man, I mean, keyword passion—you know, all about opportunities, which is what I think every man is out there looking for. So, um. Yeah, I I love this guy. Yeah, it's awesome. So let's just jump right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Cutler. Joining us today on the Everyman Podcast is professional wrestler Nick Cutler. Nick has been performing all over the country since 2007 and has appeared in some of my favorite independent and major promotions, such as Global Force Wrestling, Full Impact Pro, Maryland Championship Wrestling, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, and my personal favorite, Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore. Nick has gone toe-to-toe with some of the WWE's biggest and baddest brawlers on Monday Night Raw, Sheamus and Cesaro. Sit back and relax as we get ready to crack open a can of 100% pure audio whoop-ass. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the undeniable Nick Cutler. Nick, how you doing, my brother? I am doing fantastic. I am hydrated. I am fed, and I feel great. Can I be honest? I'm a little fired up after that intro. That, yeah, you built me up really, really, really well, and now I feel like I'm not going to live up to everybody's expectations. Oh, no, man. <laughs> I, I disagree, my friend. I disagree. So, <clears throat> like I said, joining us today, Nick Cutler, um, professional wrestler, personal trainer, family man, every man. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, What's going on? Well, I live in a little city called Lake Station, Indiana, which is roughly 40 minutes outside of Chicago. I grew up about 35 minutes east of here in LaPorte, Indiana. And when I was eight years old, I saw my first professional wrestling match. Um... Not necessarily my first professional wrestling match. I remember the first episode of Monday Night Raw that I watched was what it was. Do you remember what that was? It was. It was the Monday Night Raw right after the Buried Alive in your house. So the main event was the British Bulldog and Shawn Michaels for the WWF Championship. And it was the beginning of the buildup to Sid and Shawn at Survivor Series. Survivor Series. And I remember seeing it and thinking, this is really, really cool to watch and then a few weeks later i saw bret hart wrestle for the first time on raw because i obviously wasn't getting pay-per-views then and that was when i actually decided that i wanted to be a professional wrestler and you know ups and downs from the time i was 
nine years old, obviously, until the time I started doing it. Um, I saw my first live wrestling match in 2006. I remember the exact card. It was at the Hammond Civic Center. The show opened with Chris Benoit and Chavo Guerrero. And the main was Batista and Finley for the World Heavyweight Championship. And I remember watching that show thinking, if, if I had any doubts in my mind before seeing this live, that this was what I wanted to do, all doubt was gone at that point. And I literally, the next day was when I started searching out ways to break into the business. I literally did not go to school the next day and stayed home and just researched ways that I could get started. So what did that, where did that lead you to? Well, funnily enough, one of my ex-girlfriends was dating a professional wrestler. So I reached out to her. I was like, look, I don't know if it would be weird for him to kind of help me get my foot in the door, but do you think that you could maybe talk to him? And so she did. And you might actually know who this guy is. I don't know if you follow Deathmatch Wrestling at all, but his name's Adam Bueller. Mm-hmm. Hear that name? Okay. He was the one who actually initially broke me into the business. Really? Uh, uh, he, my ex-girlfriend introduced me to him. He was a little standoffish at first, uh, understandably so, knowing who I was. Um, but eventually became really good friends with him. He got me started off as a referee, kind of started showing me how to bump the ins and outs, this and this and that and that. Eventually, I obviously knew in my mind I was going to need better training than someone who had never really done anything. Um, no disrespect, Adam, even though uh, I <laughs> to his face. But, um, so fast forward, I had started working a little bit and I ended up on shows with Steve Bott, who is a Chicago standout. He trained at Windy City Pro Wrestling. He was running a school in Chicago. And so I started driving to Chicago twice a week in 2008, 2009, in that time frame to train over there with him. And then obviously other training opportunities along the way. I've done training with Ring of Honor. I've done training with Monster Factory. I've done training with Evolve. This is throughout the entire 11 years that I've been working. And I've developed a reputation where I don't, I don't, I don't want to toot my own horn, but to Two to away, my friend. I'm one of the best. I truly believe that I'm one of the best talents, not just in this area, but around when it comes to storytelling and my ability to connect with a crowd. Um, you're not going to see me doing a bunch of flips. I'm kind of, you, you could compare me to an independent version of the revival, but you're not going to find anybody else who could tell a better story than me. You're not going to find anybody else that could connect with the crowd better than me. And you're not going to find anybody else that makes an effort to actually connect with his fan base more than I do. Because I annoy people with how much I'm on my social media, but I really don't give a shit because it's their journey too. everybody that supports me is on this road with me. This isn't just about me. This is about, hey, this person bought a T-shirt. This person bought a picture. This person asked for an autograph. These are people who want to see me succeed. So it's not just about me. It's about letting them know that they didn't waste that $20. They didn't waste that $5. They didn't waste that $11.99 or whatever to buy a House of Hardcore pay-per-view, whatever the case may be. Right. And I just don't want to let those people down. So. Well, you know, I, I can I can totally relate to that, you know, with, with, with my band and my business. You know, like 
you want to keep pushing to a certain extent for all the people that have put and invested their time and their money into you. And more importantly, their support. You know, it's not just, you know, that 20 bucks is awesome. It means a lot. But the people that show up every show, every gig, you know, that's that's what really what really counts. You know, Daryl actually is uh, you guys are almost neighbors. (laughs) <laughs> well, so right, well right now I'm, I'm actually at the indianapolis combine so like i'm uh super super uh you know close <laughs> i should say indianapolis was right in, in, like in indy yeah in indy in indy yeah oh, at the lucas, lucas oil stadium i'll be i'll be oh yeah, yeah 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 that's where uh no 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 i'm used to bakersfield house is where i always go to when i'm in indy with wwe <coughs> Um, I'll be in India in June, though, but not for wrestling. Though I'm going to meet the fucking Green Power Ranger. So, dude, oh, I saw that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yes, that's, I, awesome. that's awesome. I can't, I can't tell you how stoked I am. I'm actually really pissed at my kid right now because I gave him <laughs> the choice of either taking him to Medieval Times or taking him to C2E2. And in my mind, I'm like, he's going to pick C2E2, and then I'm going to meet the, the Pink Power. Oh, yeah, and Punk is going to be there too. Yeah. He's Dude, a, that's crazy. Anyway, I'm concerned with the Pink Power Ranger. And my damn kid picked Medieval Times. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm never going to forgive him for this. I was going <laughs> to and the Green Ranger off my bucket list in 2019. And now I can't. So oh, that's man. the last time he gets to pick. Exactly. Like from now on, I'm making all of his decisions. So, so is the Pink Power Ranger your favorite Power Ranger? Or is it just... Um, no, the Green Power Ranger is my favorite Power Ranger, but the Pink Ranger was the Green Ranger's love. So obviously she was my first love, too. Pink Ranger there was... There you go. Obviously. So, <laughs> yes. A lot of people, bro. And it's funny because looking back at it now, like looking at her as a grown man who actually knows what he likes in a woman, Amy Jo yeah. Johnson is totally not my type as far as just like looking at her thinking, yeah, like she's my kind of woman. Well, it's but also I, 1994, you know? Exactly. But I still love her because in my mind, she's Kimberly. So right. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's awesome. But, but we had we had we had just said something about how we're doing it. Cause we don't want to let those people down who have supported us. But I'm also, I always, I, I, I said to someone the other day, I'm doing this for two types of people. The people who said that I could and the people who said that I couldn't to prove the ones that said that I could right and to prove the ones that I couldn't wrong. So I'm get I'm doing it for everybody when you really think about it. So, yeah. Well, you know, you got, you got a supporter in me, brother. You know that. That's yeah. Cool. Man. So, so uh, yeah, I was, I was a random, a random rendezvous in Dallas, Texas was going to turn into such a blossoming friendship. I know. Right. You know, <laughs> so I was telling Daryl earlier, you know, Nick and I met at a bar. It was uh, Kevin Nash's shenanigans in Dallas at WrestleMania 32 it was my first <laughs> WrestleMania. And uh, I walk in and like, you know, mean Gene is there. He's got chicks on him like badass Billy Gunn is hanging out. Al Snow is over there chilling. Billy Gunn, by the way, Daryl, is like just jacked. And he's like almost 60. And he but he's like what six five? More, more men in this world should aspire to be Billy Gunn. Like you can't tell. Like he's one of those dudes that's like low-key a uh, brick wall. Mm-hmm. Right. And like Daryl, you know, is one of those brick wall gentlemen. Um he's he's, he's no he's no but, smart guy. But you said that perfectly. He's a brick wall gentleman. Yeah, like, he's not going to find a nicer guy than Billy. 
but he is such an intimidating prep. And if you've ever worked with him, when he gets like a hot tag, when he's doing a tag match, you see your life flash before your eyes when he gets in there <laughs> and start lighting you up. Oh, yeah. Because he is just so intense. It's ridiculous. Absolutely insane. Yeah, he's he's a monster. But I'm hanging out at this bar, Daryl, and it's like, you know, ECW legend Sabu. And, you know, ECW is like super hardcore professional wrestling. And growing up in the Philadelphia area, that was like that was actually one of the first pro wrestling moments I had since we were talking about that. Uh, me, it was I remember my picking up my brother at his friend's house. And it was the episode of Raw where DX dressed up as the nation of domination, which is completely inappropriate now. (laughs) (laughs) But at the time, and there was like just all this chaos. And I remember being like, I don't know what is going on here, but this is sick, you know? And that was like it for me. You know, I was hooked. Um, So it's, it's interesting to see how far it's come, you know, professional wrestling, but just culture and entertainment. Anyway. uh, So Sabu's sitting there, um, Carlito, all these dudes, and I, I bump into Nick Cutler. Nick at first thought, because I was with my friend who's a big athlete himself, uh, that we were pro wrestlers. And I remember you saying to me, somebody asked you if you're a worker here, just say that you are. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that'll, that'll get me pretty far with the, uh, you know, with the drinks and stuff. So uh, Dude, WrestleMania was a great time. I didn't pay for any drinks that night. And I, and I went there fully prepared to. Um, but I got lucky because... There were people either thought that I was because at the time I had blonde highlights in my hair. So I had a few people buy me drinks thinking that I was Scotty too hottie. (laughs) I had this one guy. This guy had to have been like far gone because I don't remember this particular person ever having blonde highlights. But anyway, he, he came over and he asked me if he could buy me a drink. And I was like, yeah, man, sure. And so you'd go up to the bar. He's like, well, what are you drinking? I was just like, uh, just just Miller Lite. He's like, oh, well, I, I'd like to buy you a shot. I'm like, ah, I'm not really a big shot person. He's like, oh, come on, man. You know, you can't say no to a gift. That's rude. And I'm like, okay, um, uh, do like a Jaeger bomb. And he's like, okay. So we're standing there just waiting for the drinks. And he just looks at me and he goes, you know, I really loved your stuff during the Attitude Era. <laughs> uh, I kind of thought. <laughs> it's like, who do you think I am? I kind of pause and I'm like, don't blow this now because you don't have your drinks yet. Um, <laughs> so I just look over at him and I'm just like, well, which stuff in particular? He's like, oh, you know, all that stuff with Nydia and the trailer park and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, this guy thinks I'm Jamie Noble. Yeah. Well, I okay. could see that. Okay. Well, no, see, I can see that when I don't have highlights in my hair. Right. Like right now. Right now, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like right now, if I had a beard, I could be a spinning it. I told one of my buddies, I'm like, I'm going to, when him and um, Joey Mercury were doing J&J Security, I'm going to show up to Raw in a black suit and a yellow tie. And <laughs> guaranteed, I'm going to be able to get in and act like Jamie Noble. Um, but I was just like, okay, he thinks I'm Jamie Noble. So he bought me drinks a, a, a ton that night, and just it was it was a good night. So yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. And I and you know I could say from the guys in Extractus, we were uh, <clears throat> it was it was awesome to be a part of your you know be a part of your art too and your creativity. So that was they really, that's really that. cool. Kevin has that every year, and I've been meaning every year. I I'm like I'm going to go wherever Mania is this weekend. And even if just to go to the party, because I'm really good friends with Dave Hero and Dave Hero actually is the one that helps Kevin set all this stuff up. So 
I actually was there that night as a guest of Dave's, me and my buddy both. So we we got there, and because I, I think we, we were in the same Uber as Al and his wife, because they're a couple of friends of ours too. And um, we had gotten there and walked in, and I was just like, this is amazing because you've got fans just interacting with the wrestlers, and you've got wrestlers who I don't get to see all the time because – you develop a bond with these people even after meeting them once. And then it's like you, you, you're you with them for six or seven hours at a show and you're hanging out and you're laughing and you're having a good time. And then you don't see them for six months. So when you run into these people, it's the time goes by really, really fast. And so it's just like anytime I have an opportunity to get around a bunch of those guys, I try to. But it's like, man, I think WrestleMania was in New Orleans the next year or Orlando or one of the two. And yeah, it was just, Orlando and then New Orleans. I was at New Orleans. New Orleans was great. So I wasn't going to – I had no I, I had no um, intentions of going to the one in Orlando, but I was going to go to the one in New Orleans, and then it just didn't happen. And I was going to go to the one this year, and I ended up buying tickets for my selfish little kid to go to Medieval Times instead. So <laughs> Father uh, of the year, though. Exactly, father of the year. So maybe next year, but – who knows? So I eventually, I obviously want to be there working, but of course, let's see where that goes. So <clears throat> as I was saying before, Daryl, uh, former NFL player, we were discussing, um, physical preparation. So if, if you want mm-hmm. to take, take it away there, Daryl. Yeah. So, you know what, for me, you know, and, and I gotta, I gotta kind of just talk about your match with Jack Swagger. And I got I got to talk about you in the middle of the ring, slapping your chest, Dark Horse Nation fans all over the place. And, you know, just chiming in with Jack Swagger as as he's talking about we the people and you guys just mixing it up. So it's um, just talk about how it was or Well, 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 not not necessarily how it was, but just the match itself, how the, the physicality of it. And then if we're talking about uh, we're talking along the lines of physical preparation, you like and Justin was alluding to this earlier. So I might, might be digressing a little bit, but mm-hmm. just how you could go from driving eight hours, getting out to do a 30 minute match, rip it up and then get back and then, you know, wash, rinse, repeat like that. That's crazy. Like, well, how do you get your body prepared for stuff like that? Massive amounts of caffeine. um i knew there was something something yeah well it's it's and and that's how it is too it's like i'm sitting in a car for two hours i'm cramped and then i get out of the car and then i'm wrestling and i got to get loose and then i get loose and i get wound up and then i'm sitting back in the car and my adrenaline's rushing depending on where i'm at sometimes i'll get home before it wears down and it's like oh man what do i do now um it's definitely a mental mind fuck a lot of times but it's that's why it's not for everybody um that's why the amount of talent that makes it to that next tier is far and few between and then the level of talent that makes it to the tier after the next tier is far and few between and then right. the ones that make it to the tippy top are even fewer because it takes a special type of person to deal with the mental and physical toll that any sort of sport takes on your body, but especially like professional wrestling where you're willingly just letting yourself get the snot beat out of you by a 
beast like Jack Swagger because he is yeah. deceptively strong. Yeah. And probably before he got hired, before he got fired, undercover probably one of the baddest guys on the roster. I mean, there's yeah. a reason why he's doing MMA now because it's probably a better fit for him than pro wrestling because <laughs> he's going to be unstoppable. So. But like, what's like, what's your like training regimen like? Because I mean, I'm I'm looking at these these screens from Full Spectrum Fitness. You have 300 level abs. I don't have one ab. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, and I would love to have. I'd be able to wash my clothes off of abs like that. You know, <laughs> it's just that that'd be kind of cool. I'm just saying. The, the abs are rather new to me. Um, <laughs> my. My, my body has gone through a lot of changes in the 11 years that I've been a pro wrestler. I, I, I started at a time where there were still a lot of, I guess we'll call them meatheads. Guys like Triple H <laughs> and Batista and Goldberg, all these really big muscle men. But at the same point in time, there were guys showing up like Dolph Ziggler and Johnny Nitro and... Guys that weren't really huge, muscular, but were ridiculously lean to the point where they mm -hmm. still looked like athletes. And it was always really easy for me to put on muscle mass. And so in my mind, I'm like, ah, well, abs are overrated. <laughs> and I don't need to have abs to look like I can beat the shit out of somebody. And quite frankly, I don't think this era of someone just being ridiculously lean being champion is ever going to be a thing fast forward right. not you got guys like finn balor who i swear doesn't eat carbs and guys <laughs> he like, hasn't had a carb ever i don't even think he knows what a sandwich is i i, I, I think of, <laughs> i think of that scene from Step Brothers where that guy's like i haven't had a carb yeah okay? <laughs> yeah um and you got Tony Nice. I told Tony, I was just like, you know, dude, it's not the first six abs you have that I have a problem with. It's the seventh and eighth one that really pisses uh, me off. I'll <laughs> tell you what, just to interject, and then we'll get back to that. One of the best matches I've ever seen live, okay, was Tony Nice and Leo Rush at House of Hardcore. And it was uh, Tony Nice's last indie match. It was like, it was amazing. Tony Nice is legit one of the nicest guys. I've ever had the pleasure of meeting in the wrestling business. And uh, I, I, I don't get happy for other people. I'm kind of a douche that way. Um, <laughs> I, I try to, you know, give them the little happy Gilmore clap and say, all right, good for them. But I'm more concerned with my own success. There are very few people whose success I get happy for, but I'm happy for Tony Nice, Leo Rush, eh. I'll, I'll keep my opinion for him to myself because my mom always told me if you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say anything at all. <laughs> always but, a good attitude. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and I'll say this. Leo Rush is, is amazing when it comes to what he can do. His personality just leaves a little bit to be desired. But <laughs> um, rewinding, I'm, I'm saying to myself in 2008, 2009, this, this age of just guys being lean and rock hard is never going to take over. So... And I just like being big. If I did what I wanted to do, I would be the biggest I've ever been in my wrestling career. Bear in mind, I'm five foot nine, five ten on a good day, five ten and a half with my boots on. Um, <laughs> but the heaviest I've ever been was two hundred and thirty pounds, and I had no abs, but my chest was huge, my arms were huge, my back was huge. Endurance wasn't so great, but. I liked the way that I looked. 
Now, throughout the years, with having conversations with WWE, hey, you need to lose weight. Hey, you need to gain weight. Hey, you need to lose weight. Hey, you need to gain weight. Um, and, and doing what I'm told and then not getting any sort of opportunity for it. Um, this most recent time when I was at TV tapings in September, I was 220 pounds at the tapings. And I had a tryout match before SmackDown for the doors open, you know, just with the other extras doing whatever. And they needed somebody to wrestle Noam Dar for Mm. Rule 5 Live. And in my mind, I'm like, even if I was 205, I wouldn't be the one wrestling Noam Dar. Because even if I was 205, I would still dwarf over him and make him. He's a small guy. Right. He if if he's 170 pounds, I'll freaking eat this empty bottle of freaking Powerade Zero. But um, <laughs> and he, he has to be like five foot five. Nice guy, but I digress. <laughs> anyway, um, mm-hmm. you can kind of tell when you've been an extra as many times as I have. Um, when the age when the agents are kind of fed up with with watching the matches because you can imagine they see a lot of bad shit. Now tell us what an agent is in pro wrestling. Okay, so when you think of an agent, you think of the people that help the wrestlers put the matches together. On the independence, you show up and a promoter will say, hey, this is what's going on. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. And then the wrestlers kind of just have free reign. We kind of just do whatever we want, unless the promoter specifically tells us not to do something or whatever the case may be. Um, When you look at uh, WWE, you show up, you get told what you're doing, but then you have an agent assigned to you that actually helps you with putting together your segment. So Arn Anderson, agent, producer, there's different terms that you can use. Arn Anderson was an, an, a producer. You know, Fit Finley, Adam Pierce, <clears throat> Lita was uh, an agent for the longest time for the Divas. Um, but uh, one of the agents that always watches the tryout matches is Scott Armstrong. So he is watching the matches and, you know, match after match is getting over and he's just like, next, next, next. Because rightfully so, a lot of these guys that are there for the first time, or even if they're not there for the first time and they just don't have a freaking clue, they have it in their mind that, oh, they want to see all these cool moves and they want to see this and they want to see this and they want to see this. No, they don't. They want to see that you can do the basics and that you can do them properly and that if they need you to work on TV with somebody that you can make their talent look good. That's what mm. they want to see. Okay, You'll have time to show them that other stuff later if they're actually interested in you. So... They, Dean Malenko, who was another one of the agents, was actually going to be the one that was handling the 205 Live match. And I knew I had overheard that they wanted somebody for that night. And they were looking at this other guy who was like, he's like, he, he, he was definitely under 200 pounds, but he was like 6'1 or 6'2. So, again, dwarfing over Noam Dar. The guy that I was going to be wrestling, <clears throat> his name slips my mind, but he was a really, really nice guy. He was from Florida, just happened to be in the area, so he got onto the Chicago Loop. But um, he wrestled the night before against the Authors of Pain. Because originally, they're like, hey, why don't we use this guy? Ah, uh, he was on Raw last night. We don't want to use him two nights in a row. Okay. 
so the the big guy that's like six one six two gets up there, does the uh, does his tryout match, and I see Dean Malenko walk over to him. And he's like, "Hey, we need you on the segment tonight, two oh five, about you know five minutes. Make no one look good." Oh man! Kid says okay. He had told me prior that this was his first time ever being an extra. So you imagine you show up for the first time ever being an extra for WWE, and then the first time that you're there, you're told that you're going to be wrestling on 205 Live. So you just see this guy's face light up. He's giddy like a little freaking school kid. And me and my uh, opponent get in the ring. We have our match. And (laughs) um, number one after the match, Scott, uh, there is no next it's Scott calling me and I look over at him and he just like leans over and says, tells me, thank you. Cause I gave him what they actually want. Nice. And then I felt so bad. Uh, Malenko walks past us, walks up to the kid. That's about six, one, six, two. Hey, change your plans. We don't need you. That's it. <laughs> the kid just kind of hangs his head down, walks over to us, tells me I'm a little bit big to be on two Oh five. So they're going to use my opponent. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, you should give me half of your paycheck because I just got you a spot on 205 Live. (laughs) And in my mind, I'm like, all right, well, they can't use me because I'm over 205. So if I'm already over 205 and I know I'm not being used on TV, let me just go touch that Oreo cheesecake that I saw sitting in catering before the matches. So I go to the back. I'm at catering. I'm getting ready to indulge in this delicious-looking cheesecake. (laughs) And I turn around, and there's Scott Armstrong standing there. And he's just like, hey, you're the guy with the chest hair. I was like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that was me. And he's just like, dude. And he literally grabs the cheesecake out of my hand, and he sets it down on the table. And he's like, Jim, Jim, Jim. And he's like, like, I'm not saying that you're in bad shape. You're not. You're bigger than all of the guys here. But there's nothing that we can do with you at five foot ten, two hundred and twenty pounds. But if you were five foot ten, two hundred and five, you know, then we could do business. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. And I'm not going to name drop people, but another very influential worker who was watching the matches, who's been with WWE for I, I, I'm wanting to say eleven years now called me aside in the hallway and he's just like, Hey man, he's like, the agents were creaming themselves over your match. Like they wanted you on TV tonight. And I was just like, yeah, they, they, he just told me that I, you know, I need to drop weight uh, to two Oh five. And he's just like, how much do you weigh right now? I was like two twenty. He's like, dude, he's like, that's just fucking cutting out bread and all that shit that you don't need. I guarantee you, if you get to two Oh five, they'll sign you. Sweet. So since that was in September, so since then I've lost 23 pounds. I'm wow. 97 pounds right now. Um, nice. I'm 205, and I'm like, eh, I'm still like 17 or 18 percent body fat. So I'll just kind of keep going. And Damn so man. I'm down to 197 pounds. I look the. I don't know if I would necessarily say I look the best that I've ever looked, um, but I'm definitely close to that. And I, whether I do or whether I don't get to try it with WWE is really beside the point. In my mind, because I've, I've been told things by them before, and, you know, people might listen to this and they might say, oh, he's blowing smoke up our asses. I don't really need you to believe me 
If you want to believe me, then you believe me. If you won't, then you won't. I really don't care. The people who are really close with me have seen the emails. The people who are really close with me know that I've got no reason to lie about it. Um, whether I do or whether I don't get a tryout is irrelevant. I've been told that I would before. I've been told a couple of times since 2017. The problem is, is that shit with that company changes like that. Snap right. fingers. It's a big, yeah. big, big he, ship to turn. Exactly what they're looking for at the exact point in time that that performance center tryout is coming around. So you can find your name on that list of people that they fly down there for three days. And I am confident enough in myself that if I go to Orlando for one of their three-day tryouts, I will walk away with a job. Come hell or high water, it's getting down there. It's, it's doing right. – it's actually getting the opportunity to go down there. And I don't want to give them a reason to not do it. So, you know, I remember texting my wife that day from the locker room and saying, hey, you know, they pretty much told me that if I drop to 205 pounds that I'll have a job. Or at the very least, an opportunity to get a job. And she's just like, well, you know, they've told you that before. And I was like, yeah, but I can, I can look at this in two ways. I can say, fuck them. They've, they've said this to me before and they didn't follow through on their end. So I'm just going to continue to do what I want to do. And then I know I'm not going to get an opportunity. Or I can lose the weight. I can send them pictures, I can send them a promo, and I can say, hey, here you go. I did what you guys told me to do. If they give it to me, great. If they don't, I know in my mind that I did everything that they told me to do. And I have done everything that they told me to do. At the very beginning of this journey, when they actually first started looking at me as a talent, it was get more exposure. So I started flying myself all over the country. I flew myself to California to wrestle for championship wrestling from Hollywood. I flew myself to Jersey to wrestle for Danny Cage and develop a relationship with him at Monster Factory. I flew myself to Florida to work for Full Impact Pro. Me and my tag team partner drove 15 hours to Dallas to do that Evolve camp, which is why wow. I there. 15 Jesus. hours. 15 hours, man. That weekend with you. So... I, I've literally done everything that they have asked me to do, but now I'm at a point where there are certain things that I'm willing to do and there's certain things that I'm not willing to do. If you want to tell me to lose weight, I'll lose weight. If you want to tell me to work for somebody, if that person brings me in for work, then I will go to that person and work. What I will not do is what I look at as pretty much selling my soul. And what I mean is there are a lot of guys on the independent circuit and more power to them for doing this. But they're driving 12, 13, 14 hours and with a carload of guys for little to no money for a quote unquote opportunity to work for a next level promotion, a ring of honor, an evolve, a, you know, an MLW, whatever the case may be. I am a dad. Like, I've, I've got three kids. I've got a wife. I've got a house payment. I am not, I'm no longer in a position where I am willing to do something for nothing. Gotcha. I, I've done that. I did that. I'm, I've been doing this for 11 years. Yeah, you paid your dues. It's time I've for you to, to be able to I've make it. I literally sank thousands of dollars into Evolve. I've sank thousands of dollars into Ring of Honor. Neither one of them gave me an opportunity. 
That's why, as, as weird as I think he is, I will always have love for Tommy Dreamer because Tommy Dreamer gave me an opportunity multiple times to perform on his promotion, which is something that Ring of Honor never did. I, I went to multiple Ring of Honor shows on my own dime and set up the ring and tore down the ring and was never given so much as a dark. I, I, I sold tickets at because I showed up to try to get onto the show, even work a dark, and they wouldn't give me an opportunity to do that, but then they asked me to sell tickets, mm-hmm. which is fine. I, I and you well, know that's 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 where the entertainment end of the of the business comes into it because that's a lot of stuff that as a musician that you know I've had to had to deal with too. You know, it's it's that kind of promoter uh, enter, entertainer relationship. And and it, it's funny because like I said, like I went and I did it, and you know what I did? I sold the rest of their front row tickets. You know, they they told me, hey, you know, we still have some front row tickets. Like if you could get those out, I sold all their front row tickets. I sold all their second row tickets. The only thing that they had left at the end of the night was general admission, and I would have sold those too if they had more people come through the door. So I took what they gave me and I knocked it out of the park. And one of the guys that helps run it, God bless him, he's the one that brought me into full impact. Um, you know, he actually told Gabe that night, he's just like, Hey, you know, Cutler was just Mac daddying at the door and he got all of the front row and second row tickets out. And Gabe kind of looked at me press. He's like, Hey, awesome. Are you coming to the show in Chicago tomorrow night? I was booked, you know? So I, I said what any other work, what any other self-respecting worker would say. And I was just like, I don't know, Gabe, is there an opportunity tomorrow night in Chicago <laughs> to work in the ring, not the door? Because I'm working in Warsaw, Indiana for $100 plus whatever I sell in merchandise. So are you going to put me in the ring? Put me in the ring and give me $20. Put me in the ring and don't give me anything. But tell me that you're going to put me in the ring. But if I don't at least have a guarantee that I'm going to step into that ring and be able to perform and at least have something out of it, then I'm past that point where I'm willing to put myself into those situations. That makes sense. And I'm not going to rip on anybody that I'm not going to rip on anybody that is willing to do that. You know, good for you. Um, You know, one of the things that you notice about a lot of those guys that do all these cross country ventures is not a whole lot of them are in shape. You want to know why? Because they put all their money into traveling across the country. So they don't have money to eat right. They don't have money for gym memberships. I'm sure a lot of them probably still live at home or if they don't live at home, they live in a house with six or seven other people, so the rent is dirt cheap. I don't have that luxury because I swore to myself when I started wrestling, I wasn't going to put the rest of my life on hold. I wasn't going to be one of those guys that says, hey, you know what? I'm not going to get married until I'm signed, and then I'm not going to have kids until I'm done wrestling, and then I'm not going to do this until this. Like, no, I met my wife. I fell in love with her. I wanted to marry her. We wanted a daughter. I wasn't going to tell her, nope, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to have kids with you until, <clears throat> until I'm done wrestling. How fucking selfish is that? And there yeah. are people that do that and more power to them. But that's not me. I was never going to make my family go without. Just And, you know, my wife is a saint and she has seen me sink thousands of dollars into something that doesn't really give her a whole lot because she knows how much it means to me and she knows that I have what it takes to make this payoff. It's just a question of whether I'll get that opportunity or not. So 
Sounds it sounds like uh, something that a lot of people can relate to. You know, whether they're they're in uh, sports or chasing the the corporate dream. Um, so what what is ultimately your goal with professional wrestling? WWE. That's it. Um, I want to work full time for that company. It was actually kind of funny um, at the. Heroes and Legends, it's a huge convention that runs uh, twice a year in Fort Wayne here in Indiana. And at the last uh, Heroes and Legends show in October, Terry Taylor was there, and he's the finishing coach at NXT. So the very last step that you go through in NXT before going up to Raw or SmackDown is through Coach Taylor's course. And... You know, he watched my match that night. He was a big fan of mine. And I kind of told him what I had been told as far as losing weight and this and this and that and that. He's just like, well, you know, you've got talent. You're good. I like you. Um, You ever thought about being a referee? And I was like, 125 grand a year to not take any fucking bumps and travel the world? Where do do I sign? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, oh, be surprised how many guys, you know, have an ego about it. I'm like, guys have an ego about getting paid 125 grand a year? Like, what, because they can't put on spandex and fake fight? Like, I, I don't give a shit. <laughs> if you're paying me and I'm traveling the world and I'm working for the company that I've wanted to work for since I was nine years old, I don't care what I'm doing. Because I honestly feel like whatever it is that I'm doing, whether it's a wrestler, whether it's a referee, whether it's a manager, whether it's a play-by-play color commentator, I will be the absolute best at whatever it is that I do. Because that's just the mindset that I have with whatever it is that I am focusing on. And he's just like, you know, you're 30 right now. You're getting ready to turn 31. I'm not saying that you're too old. But I am saying that even if you got signed now, the window of opportunity to have a really long career is kind of short. You know, Charles Robinson's 57 years old and he's still on the road every week. So he's like, if you don't get signed by the time you're 35, you could try to be a referee, get hired and then still have a 20 year career and still make a lot of money, especially if you get on their ring crew, because their mm-hmm. ring crew get a nightly bonus and all of their expenses are paid. So he's like, you, w- you wouldn't care about doing that? And I'm like, no. And he's just like, all right, well, why don't you do what they told you to do? Drop all that weight, keep trying to get signed as a worker. And if you don't get signed in the next couple of years, drop a little bit more weight and try to be a referee. You know, cause that's I've- great. That's a great way. And I think that's yeah. a great, uh, Awesome perspective to have. And I think, Daryl, you can elaborate on that before we wrap up here because uh, Daryl made a transition. Well, I think uh, the biggest thing that I hear, Nick, you saying is the opportunity. You know what I mean? And it, that resonates so much with me because, I mean, I was an undrafted free agent. You know, I mm-hmm. tore my ACL the week before the 2003 draft. Yeah. So I, I had uh, my agent was Ken Kramer and Tom Godden from. Tom Tom Condon from IMG, which is now CAA, and I literally was in my basement, <laughs> like with my leg up, had just gotten out of had ACL reconstructive surgery. I watched every pick in the draft go by, and I went from like a second round, third round potential draft pick to nothing. And if it wasn't for actually 
and this is crazy, um, Rex Hogan, who's the director of player personnel for the Indianapolis Colts, who was then like a bottom basement scout for the Chicago Bears, who called me like the week after the draft and said, hey, listen, D.C., did you get picked up? And I was like, no, dude, you know, I tore my ACL at, at my, um, my, my, um, my pro day workout. And he was like, I'll give you a call right back. And when he called me right back, he had then Lovey Smith coming in and Jerry Angelo on the line. And they were like, listen, you're, you're a good guy. We're going to rehab you on our own dime and give you an opportunity. And that's all I needed. Like, like literally, it's all about opportunity. And the grind and the sacrifice and the, you know, ebbs and flows of, you know, whatever it is that gets you to being on the field. Like, Nick, you're like, yo, I don't give a shit whether I'm a referee or whether I, you know, am 11 yeah. years in and I get that, that career that I want as long as I get to WWE. And I, that totally resonates with me. So yeah, that, and awesome. then in that transition from sports and, and another thing that, that resonates with me too, Nick, is you like saying, Hey, you know, being a nice guy, doing everything the right way, them giving you the advice, say, listen, cut the body weight and then give it a try. And then there's still another opportunity for you being a ref, be, be a referee. Hey, I've gone through that too. Hey, we need a defensive, we need a nose tackle. Can you be 315 pounds? I'm 281. Well, let me train up. Hey, we need a three technique for. <laughs> for God, Tampa Bay. Can I can't you imagine be, that. That's can, be two, can you be 292 and, and jet a B gap? Sure, let me train down. Hey, let me. I need you to be 350 in Dallas. You know what I mean? Just as an opportunity. Like I was, I, mean, I bounced from team to team. But the my my thing was, I want to keep my fucking hand on the ground and rush as long as I possibly can. As long as I get to feel that. As long as I can get to be in a locker room. As long as I can get to strap a helmet on and fucking just nut up. I mean, I've been doing this since I was a kid. That's my that's that's my passion. And now the transition is I'm I'm a producer I'm a producer of NFL films, man. If somebody told me like, hey, you know what? 15, 16 years ago, you're going to end up being an Emmy Award-winning producer for NFL Films after all the shit you went through. I'd have been like, no. But it still keeps me around the game, which I'm passionate about, and which is still giving me opportunities. Hell yeah. I, I got m much respect to you, Nick, man. Much Thank fucking respect for real, bro. And that, that's what it comes down to um, is the fact that I love professional wrestling. I don't always love the professional wrestling business in general um, because it's very, very weird. Um, there's lots of quote unquote unwritten rules. Um, I think it's funny. One of the things that I had said to people was people like to sit there and say, Oh, the professional wrestling business is just like any other business until you try to treat it like any other business. And then they say, Oh, well it's, pro it's pro wrestling. You know, things are done differently. <laughs> maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe you're just dude. It's, it's funny because you know, <laughs> I've always, I've always, from what I, from a, from an outsider and as a fan, that's what the music business is like, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like it, it's, it's my dad. My dad was it's actually the same thing. And he, you know, we would trade like different stories. You know, he's just like people always want to get something for nothing, and. I've learned throughout the years and don't get me guys. I have not always been this positive and I've not always been this straightforward. I literally went through severe bouts of depression. I've went through divorce. I've me and my wife got divorced and got back together. Like it, I was not the healthiest of people. Even when I thought that I was, I wasn't. Um, it took, um, my daughter being born 
yeah. doing yeah. mindset coaching. Um, and, and I'm going to put this guy over. I don't know if we'll listen to this or not, but if anybody's listening to this, I don't know if you guys know who Tony Robbins is. Of course. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a friend who used to be a worker um, in pro wrestling. His name is Jared Gannum. And he had started a group on Facebook called the Inner Squared Circle. And pretty much what Jared's backstory is, is he tried to be a worker. He did this. He did this. He had tryouts. He, you know, got, he got pretty much to where I'm at right now, where WWE knows who he is. But he never got that opportunity. And now he has discovered another passion. He has trained under Tony Robbins. He's gone to these mindset camps. And he started doing coaching for, you know, companies and CEOs. And then one day he thinks to himself, this could be a lifesaver for guys in the wrestling business. Because so many of us don't know anything other than pro wrestling. We think we do. And we think that we're okay. But if we really actually stopped and self-evaluated ourselves, we're not. And I don't remember the exact situation that had happened, but I remember feeling at an all-time low. And um, I just looked at Jared's little thing that he had posted. And I figured, you know, what the hell? I've spent stupid amounts of money on a lot of other stuff. If, if this turns out to not be a help, then I've just spent stupid amounts of money on something else that didn't work. And so I did it and it was the greatest investment I've ever made. Not, not just for my professional wrestling career, but for my life. Like mm. Jared saved my life because I don't know that I could have ever come to terms with the fact that, WWE might not happen and be okay with it if it wasn't for him. Um, I remember at one point um, I was doing one of my coaching calls with him and we were talking about what we call the vehicles of success because there are certain things that every human is trying to attain. I'm not going to be able to quote them verbatim, but you know, most people, you know, they're looking for money or they're looking for significance or they're looking for love, or they're looking for um, guarantees. Like they're looking for certain things out of life, okay? Mm -hmm. And how you get those things, whether it's family, whether it's work, whether it's a hobby, whatever the case may be, those are called your vehicles of success. Now, what happens if you have one car and that car breaks down on the side of the road? You're fucking stranded. You have nowhere to go. But if you have another car in the garage, that car breaks down. You can get into that other car and drive that car. You're right back on the road while the other car gets repaired. What I had no idea that I was doing was I had multiple reasons in my life to be happy. And I wasn't because I was putting all of my happiness into pro wrestling. And pro wrestling wasn't giving me what I wanted. And here I am with, at the time, a, a very pregnant wife who is getting ready to give birth to my daughter, which is the only thing I've ever wanted in this world uh, more than pro wrestling. I've got two amazing sons that I got with my wife. I have a 
uh, a job that is putting a roof over my head. I have two vehicles. I've got so many things that a lot of other people don't have that might not seem a lot, but it works. I have absolutely no reason to not be happy, but for some reason I wasn't. And I felt incredibly selfish. And I literally, I walked into the house after that phone call and I started crying in my wife's lap and told her that I owed her an apology for the last two years because for the last two years, I refused to let her make me happy. I refused to let the boys make me happy because in my mind, if I did not have the validation of being a success in pro wrestling, then I was a failure. Regardless of whatever good I was doing in the rest of my life, if I never achieved that significance of being a full-time employee with WWE, then my life was a failure. And I never would have gotten over that if I had enough done that mindset coaching with Jared. And so doing that coaching with him and then my daughter being born and then seeing that movie, The Secret, that talks about the, the law of attraction and how you bring to you what you put in the made my life do a complete 180 and am i still perfect no i mean nobody is but everybody's human so we're always going to have those bad days but my bad days don't lead into bouts of depression anymore and i literally just finally got to the point where you know well I, i guess i don't care if i make it to wwe because i don't need them i don't need them to know that i'm good enough for this because i've had enough people who have been in wwe tell me that I am good enough to do this. And I've got a job that is very fulfilling in helping people achieve their fitness goals. I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful daughter, uh, two shithead little sons who would rather go to medieval times than see two <laughs> dogs, cats. I've got, you know, I go on one to two vacations a year. What reason do I have to complain? So. Well, it sounds like you got a lot of love and that's really, you know, that's one of the, one of the themes of the Everyman podcast. And, you know, I think we've, we've covered a lot of stuff that I think everybody can relate to, whether you're, you know, working in construction or you're working in a lab or working on roller coasters, it doesn't matter. I think this is a, I think this was a great chat and, uh, it's really, it's been awesome catching up with you. And, um, I, <clears throat> I just, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, and, and best of health. And, uh, you know, I'm always supporting you and pulling for you and can't wait to see you when you're in town, Daryl, and I'll be there to see you and do another interview with yeah, you. Yeah, man. Um, be- before we wrap up, where can we see you? What appearances do you have coming up? Where can we catch you online? Sure. So all my matches are pretty much typically uploaded to YouTube. So just type in Nick Cutler on YouTube. You'll get all my latest stuff, all my latest promos. I actually just did a very, very raw, real promo um for wwe that i actually sent to them um where i pretty much stated all those things that i just stated to you guys and i I literally listed all the reasons why i don't need them but that they should want me regardless of whether i need them regardless of whether they need me they should want me because that's the type of individual that i am Uh, so give that promo a look and a share um, if you guys get the chance, but just type that in. You can find me on Twitter at Cutler Coalition, uh, Instagram Cutler Coalition eighty eight. Uh, my pro wrestling tea store is prowrestlingtees.com forward slash Cutler Coalition. 
My shirt designs are amazing. Um, nice. Hey, you got some awesome merch. I've definitely, I can merch. vouch for that. My best seller right merch. now is my Jim Cornette t-shirt because. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, Jim Cornette once called me a no good shit weasel, so we made a t-shirt about it. That's exactly there what you it go. Is. So That's uh, awesome. And to anybody that's out there that's doing the same thing as I am, whether it's pro wrestling, whether it's some other kind of career, just don't quit. Um, the last really good email that I got from WWE was from Terry Taylor. And the last thing that he said to me was, you, you are good enough to be here. So just don't give up. And um, so for anybody that needs to hear that, just don't give up. Success doesn't come easy. But anything that is worth having isn't going to come easy. Whether that's your job, whether that's a marriage, whether that's a relationship with your kids, everything that is worth having in life requires work. I am typically up every single day before the sun comes up and I am home well after the sun goes down. I don't spend nearly enough time with my wife or my kids, but one day I plan on repaying it back to them tenfold. So don't let what you want slip away because it gets difficult. It's supposed to be difficult because if it wasn't, Everybody else would be doing it. That's right. That's a great way to end it. Nick Cutler, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And Thanks, uh, we'll see you around the bend. Thanks, guys.